0: supernatural
1: is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does AM 1420, WBSL presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Crosby.
0: Good
2: evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz. You guys are sitting in the other seats tonight. You know. Messing me
1: up, aren't we? Yeah, trying, trying to screw up. me
2: up on purpose.
3: We did, we did.
2: You know how hard it is for me to do this job right without you guys messing with my head. <laughs> right. So now you add this to it and it makes it that much worse. But uh, we are here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night broadcasting live on WBSM and also on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and also on the Spooky South Coast page at WBSM.com as well. So there's no excuse to not be part of the program on Saturday nights. I know a lot of people out there, you love to listen via podcast, and we appreciate that. We've got um, hundreds of thousands of downloads every week, but there's nothing like the live Spooky South Coast experience. Because see by the time we put it out to podcast, we can fix all the mistakes. <laughs> well,
1: that does that mean we have a show at the end?
2: There's there's still a little bit left. We take like a two hour show, whittle it down to about twelve minutes of mistake free talk. But no, I mean if there if there's something that goes royally wrong, we have the opportunity to edit it before we put it out to podcast. Not that we do that, but we could. But you never know what's gonna happen when you're involved with a live show. You never know when, oh, I don't know, Tina Store might drop an S bomb on the air. Right. <laughs> Jackie Barrett might drop an f bomb on you. You know we've we've had some uh, some incidents over the years, but we uh, we keep going through it. So uh, you never know what you can find uh, when you listen to the program live. And you can also join in the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast dot com when you listen to the program live. We got a, a good group in there tonight, Matt. Uh, there's a few people in there. Yeah, well, I'm sure that yeah. will grow over the course of the evening. We're going to have a fabulous discussion coming up in just a bit with Joshua Zeman and Rachel Mills, who are the Uh, director and producer of a new documentary film that will be debuting tomorrow night on Chiller TV called Killer Legends. I have the opportunity to watch the film in its entirety, and i got to tell you, what a fantastic job they did, really getting to the root of these urban legends. And we're going to talk about the Candyman, not the Candyman from the movie, although he he does show up quite a bit in the documentary, uh, because it does tie into a lot of these other stories. But the original Candyman, the story of how we all had to worry about our candy being poisoned on Halloween. I'm sure we all went trick or treating, and our our parents told us, you know, not to eat the candy till I had a chance to go through it. My grandfather was the best at it because he would go through my bucket of candy and whatever ones he liked, he'd be like, yep, this one's poison, this one's poison. <laughs> he could tell without even having to look at them. He could tell by the label that they were poisoned. And uh, he would bravely eat them to prove, prove to me that uh, when you're older, you can eat poison candy and it doesn't bother you. It's only kids <laughs> that it affects. <laughs> so uh, that's part of it. Uh, also, the legend of the killer clowns. Not the ones from outer space but the ones from Earth, so that's part of the documentary and they get into stories such as the story of the babysitter who makes the phone call to the police uh, because she keep, she keeps getting a phone call from somebody who says that he's watching her. She calls the police, the police trace the call. the killer is where
1: in the house right
2: so there's actually some truth behind that. Uh, as well as the idea of the killer with the hook for a hand attacking couples on Lover's Lane. These stories are all based in some idea of fact, and Rachel and Joshua will join us later on to discuss the story behind the story. And I'm somebody that likes to think that I research a lot of this stuff. You know, Chris Balzano is a huge, uh, I call him an analytical folklorist, and uh, he's done a lot of work in urban legends, and he's shared with me a lot of the true stories, and I've done a lot of research. But I still found myself with my jaw dropped with a lot of the information being put together in this documentary. Uh, So we'll talk about all that coming up, and you can see it for yourself tomorrow night on Chiller TV, but the uh, trailer for it is available by going to SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can click on... The link there. do we have the link up for their chiller page with the trailer? Or? Um, I'm not sure if it's up on our website, but
3: it is uh, up on our Facebook.
2: Okay, so you can so go to our Facebook and our Facebook. Twitter account, and you'll be able to get that link to the Chiller TV page for Killer Legends, and you can. I'm act- Tiffany. Hey, hey, I have some. Hi, Thanks, Kevin. Tiffany. How you doing? Hi. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> so, uh, we'll, we'll have that available for you so you can uh, check it out and see the trailer and get really excited for what should be uh, quite the creepy film uh, if you are into this kind of stuff and It it combines all the best of the the things we talk about in the paranormal in the urban legend realm with the true crime realm. So you're getting the the best of both worlds in these stories, and you're getting the story behind the story, which is what I liked about it. Uh, Also, we have joining us in the studio here at the beginning of the program is Steve Perry, the organizer. You know him from Rhode Island Comic Con, the South Coast Toy and Comic Show, uh, the South Coast Paranormal and Psychic Fair. Uh, I'm, I'm... Pretty sure there's other things that I'm forgetting. Uh, but also, uh, he has a new show coming out uh, this June, TerraCon, and it's going to be the first time that you've jumped into the realm of horror and the paranormal together.
4: Yes, what we decided to do is try to bring horror and paranormal together into a much larger scale venue, like we did with Rhode Island Comic Con. And we'll be having the show on uh, June 7th and 8th up in Providence.
2: And you've got a a fantastic slate of guests, uh, both on the horror side. And you were saying saying before we went on the air, it's like horror, rock and roll, wrestling, and the paranormal all under one roof.
4: Yes, we're trying to bring all that into one big show. Kind of do basically like Comic-Con is, but change the genre pretty much.
2: And it seems like there is a lot of crossover in the audience for all those things, too.
4: There is. There's quite a bit. We'll probably see most of the same fans at both shows.
2: And uh, just taking a look at some of the guests that are coming to this event, uh, again, it's June 7th and 8th at the Providence, uh, in Providence the Rhode Island Convention Center, which, if you've never been there before, such an awesome place. Plenty of space for all the things that are going on, but you never feel like you're any more than a few feet away from all of these stars. Uh, you've got uh, Michael Bain coming yep, from Terminator, Terminator and, and, and Aliens, and uh, also Linda Blair.
4: Oh, the exorcist
2: herself. And I'm sure she'll have many cans of pea soup shoved in her face <laughs> to sign. Uh, Dee Snider from Twisted Sister will be there. You'll notice that I'm kind of <coughs> passing over the name of the uh, gentleman who stars on Grimm. Uh, is it David Giantoli? Giantoli?
4: That's pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's in the way we say it.
2: It's, it's the dude that plays the Grimm on Grimm.
4: Yeah, Grimm himself.
2: Uh, Costas Mandalore, who, if you don't know him from his many TV show appearances, you know him just from having one of the most unique sounding names in all of Hollywood Costas Mandalore I remember like seeing him on HBO movies like um, they used to have uh, uh, like Thursday Night Prime like all these action movies that they would run like the China O'Brien movies and, oh yeah and those. Jeff Speakman and all those yeah. type of movies and he'd always hear and Costas Mandalore um, Aaron Murphy from Bewitched is that that's Tabitha Tabitha from the yeah. original Bewitched yes it is she looks a lot different
4: a little bit yeah <laughs> it's all grown up now.
2: And is it is it Michael Highwhite or Michael Jai White or James? Oh, uh,
4: Michael Jai White. Spawn.
2: Okay. Spawn. Or as, as yep. Matt Costin yep. knows him, Black Diamond. Yeah.
4: Yep. yep. Matt too.
2: <laughs> which <laughs> you're got to add that to the website because that's probably what he's most known for now. Uh, Josh Stewart, um, who you've seen on Grimm and who's in The Dark Knight Rises. This is really exciting. You've got a, a whole bunch of people coming from uh, The Walking Dead. Yes. Which anybody who is into what we talk about on the show. They watched The Walking Dead. And so you've got uh, Madison Lintz yep. who was that was Sophia. Correct. And uh Vincent M Ward, I don't remember his character's name. See, yeah, that's the problem. I watched The Walking <coughs> Dead. I don't remember anybody's names on the show. Like I always just refer to them as, oh, you know, that that guy that they met here and this guy that was on the road.
4: And like and like- that zombie chase them and you don't, you don't get that. attached
2: because they're gonna die. Right, that's kind of how I feel. Like right. I, I kind of want them all to die. <laughs> that's basically the rule
4: of *Walking Dead*. Everybody's yeah. dying.
2: There's no characters that I really like, so I kind of no. want to see them all die at some point. <laughs> like now, it's gotten to the point where I want—I don't I, I see Daryl die just because everybody loves him so much. So I'm like, come on, just kill Daryl off, so I don't have to see it on my Facebook timeline right. after every episode. But uh... <laughs> oh, all right, maybe Michonne, I could—I could deal with her living a little longer. But everybody else, I'm kind of like, just get rid of them, You know, like, come on, move on. Because they they all seem to escape death uh, each and every week. But uh, also Lou Temple, I remember his name. His name was Axel. Yes. That one I remember. And uh, is it Irony Singleton? Uh, Irony. Irony? Yeah. (laughs) He's apparently named after Iron Eagle. (laughs) His parents were big Lou Gossett Jr. fans. Uh, But, uh, of course, he was uh, T-Dog. So that's one of the few names that I remember. So they'll all be there. Uh, And as well, you've got quite, quite the group coming from... Uh, the slasher flick genre.
4: Yes. Um, uh, Kane, Kane Hodder. Kane Hart is coming in.
2: And we know him <coughs> as the, the lead investigator for, was, is it Hollywood Paranormal? Was that? Uh, yeah, I believe that is. Correct. Uh, he, basically, it's a bunch of horror actors yeah. and stuntmen who are also paranormal investigators. And uh, some of the other names that are coming.
4: Uh, Tony Moran will be coming out with us. Um, let's see. Kane Hodder, you mentioned, of course. We added in a few wrestlers. Uh, Papa Shango and Godfather will be coming with us.
2: Which they can't—they will not be there at nope. the same time. Same time, side by side. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You, so so you can see Papa Shango on Saturday, and you can see The Godfather on Sunday. Why can't you get him at the same time? Uh, contractually, well, they don't get along. Okay. So you yeah, know, it's you, difficult. We
4: don't want to fight in.
2: <laughs> You'll notice I didn't even bother to invite Kama Mustafa. Yep, <laughs> for, from the nation of domination. Uh, so. uh but, of course, these are the many incarnations of Charles Wright. Uh, is he still being billed as the Godfather? Because I remember he was the, the wrestler formerly <coughs> known as the Godfather for a while, too. It depends. And he was yeah, the good father the when, they were, when he was part of Right to Censor. I remember that.
4: Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember
2: that. Yeah. And uh, cool. Shelley Martinez, who uh, is not the aerial that's familiar to the people in this area. Right. But the Ariel, who was in WWE, ECW, and TNA, uh, the Boogeyman will also be there because you couldn't find anybody that would fit more perfectly into course, the genre not. than the Boogeyman, and right. he's
4: going to get you. Yeah, and he'll share some worms with you. You're good.
2: I will eat the worms. I, I'm not afraid to admit. I will try the worms.
4: Everyone heard that, right? We're going to hold him to it.
2: Well, he—if I remember correctly—the the gentleman who played the Boogeyman, he ate real worms. Yeah, he did. Like he's really like kind of nuts.
4: I- I've heard some stories.
2: So that that should be pretty awesome. Definitely. Of course, our friend Penny Dreadful will be there, Uncle Fright, uh, uh, Dr. Chris from the Radio of Horror podcast, uh, Sarah Michelle, who is the Miss Terracon. Yes. That must be a hard job to pick who's going to be that.
4: It is. I know you wanted that job.
2: <laughs> no, I'm good. Because uh, I find that what I'm into isn't really what the horror genre would be into when it comes to a Miss Terracon. I'd be looking for somebody who's like, you know, fully clothed. And not tattooed, and you know, I, I'm looking for the Dee Wallace character, who will oh, also be definitely. there. You know, I'm looking for somebody who is, you know, the damsel in distress, and I think other fans of they're looking for the badass chick, who's you know, going to hold her own against some of these characters. Uh, Butch Patrick will be there. Our yeah. friend uh, Eddie Munster.
4: Yeah, as long as Pat Priest will be out as well. Nice. We got Marilyn to come along. It's 50th anniversary of the Munsters. Oh, so
2: that's that's really huge. Yeah, but
4: it's also 50th anniversary of Adam's family.
2: Yep. And you've got some some yep. names coming we have, from Adams uh, family. Felix
4: Silla coming out, Lisa Loring's coming. Mm-hmm. Um <coughs> excuse me. We have a uh, Carl Strickland who's from the movies. You now, we needed a lurch.
2: So And the original is no longer with us,
1: unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was my uncle's best friend.
2: Really? Actually. No, uh, true. Ted um yeah. Why am I blanking on his last name? Ah, but uh, you know, no. He actually uh he he actually had if I remember correctly, he had a novelty song in the ni- late 1960s. Uh, they had a song called You Rang. <laughs> like, it would be like the music, and they'd be like, You Rang. <laughs> it was it was kind of a hit for a while. So <laughs> uh, so quite a lot of stars coming to this. Uh, so many people, and it's, it's not that expensive at all. It's very affordable. Uh, the tickets are...
4: Uh, $25 per day, or 35 for the entire weekend.
2: And that's just on the horror rock and roll wrestling side. On the paranormal side, you've got a, a whole bunch of people coming as well. Uh, still some, some things in the works, but definitely will be in attendance will be Keith and Sandra Johnson, yes. who uh, are very familiar with fans of this show. Uh, Tom D'Agostino, John Brightman, also familiar to fans of this show. Tiffany Rice will be there. She'll be holding one of her gallery sessions. And tickets are available on the website to purchase yes, for that, are. too. Yes, And uh, also uh, from Ghost Hunters will be Adam Berry and Amy Bruni will both be there as well. They'll
4: be joining us for the show, which we're very happy to have them with us.
2: And uh, and anybody who's ever met, I I haven't had the pleasure to meet Adam yet, but I know Amy pretty well, and everybody that's ever met them talks about just how down-to-earth they are, and they're willing to answer all kinds of questions about the show, about investigating. So you definitely want to come out and see them, uh, as well as the whole slate of people. Again, it's happening June 7th and 8th at the Rhode Island Convention Center in Providence, Rhode Island. It's a huge place. There's, it, basically, you just got the run of the place, and we get to run around and hang out with all kinds of crazy people. Because exactly. not only will it... I've seen, I saw the cosplayers at Rhode Island Comic Con, mm-hmm. and I saw the extravagant costumes. I can only imagine what people are going to dress up as for this.
4: Oh, most definitely, these costumes are going to definitely... Uh following the line there
2: are you doing any kind of costume contest for this one
4: yes there'll be a costume contest as well for the show um a few different avenues and of course best costume best horror costume best zombie you know best monster things like that nice um, we actually also have the um coney island freak show coming in from coney island new york oh will be coming in nice. and performing you know doing uh you know fire breathing glass walking so it's swallowing all that as well.
2: And you've got the panel from Face Off coming, and they're yes. going to be doing a makeup demonstration?
4: Yep. A few guys from Face Off will be coming in doing uh, makeup demonstrations, how to make monsters. And then we have Cleve Hall from Monster Man who's going to come in as well and join them.
2: And, and did I see the Dragula is going to be there?
4: Yes. Nice. Yep. Dragula and the Monsters coach will both be there as well.
2: There you go. Yep. So uh, you get a chance to get a picture taken with those. <coughs> and there will be a screening of the Bridgewater Triangle documentary with many of the cast in attendance.
4: Yes, that's definitely going to be going on. It um, should be a great time for everybody.
2: So if yeah. you have been waiting to see the film, this is your chance to see it in uh, quite a unique setting. Again, June 7th and 8th. Uh, it's just gonna be huge. We're, we're gonna be there for the whole weekend. And we're working on trying to set something up, but uh, not, not to give too much away, but we're trying to put together some investigations for the nights of the convention at some local haunted locations. So you'll be able to purchase those tickets if you purchase your ticket to the festival, to the uh, convention. And you'll be able to come and investigate. Uh, we gotta try and get some of these stars to come out too.
4: I think some will be very happy to join in some of the investigations. I mean,
2: you know, Kane Hodder being a seasoned investigator, he can probably teach us a thing or two. Uh, but uh, some of these people, I'm sure, would love to have the opportunity to go to Oh, into I think Ramonte so. House. As soon as
4: I let them know we're doing that, I'm pretty sure a lot of them would be happy to join in.
2: Although some of them might be like, oh, anything but that. Like, you're going to
4: make me do that. <laughs> I've
2: been talking about horror and, and the paranormal and all that kind of stuff all day. Now I have to go out and party, which, you know, that's also. Yeah,
4: that'll go on as well. If you'll have you will have that to as Party well. on our Saturday night.
2: So, uh, so many ways to get involved. Again, just go to TerraCon.net to find out more information. And then you can also, uh, get to all the, you know, you can go to Rhode Island Comic Con. Yes. com right now too and find out all the stuff already planned in the works for November. You've already got a ton of stuff yeah, we happening there.
4: Names coming to that as well. And that's, we've, you know, keeping a lot of those back until after, uh, TerraCon, then we'll be releasing the, uh, full list there as well.
2: But don't wait to get tickets to this because they are going to go fast and uh, you want to make sure that you get your space in there for so much of the stuff that's going on. Just go to Terracon.net and you can sign up for all of it. All right, well, thank you for joining us, Steve. Definitely keep us up to date with everything that goes on.
4: I will definitely. Thank you for having me on.
2: All right, and uh, stay tuned to Spooky South Coast for more information about that. We'll have all the information about the uh, ghost hunts and everything else that's going on with it. We do have to take a break because the Red Sox left us a whole bunch of commercials. So we're going to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll get weird for a few minutes with The Week and Weird, and then coming up in just a bit, it'll be our interview with Joshua Zeman and Rachel Mills talking about the new film, Killer Legends. You're going to want to check this Oh, and you can go to our Facebook page. You can go to our, uh, you know, our um, Twitter account. You like how I it takes me forever to remember this stuff, but you can go to all of our social media, and you can get the link to the trailer to see this Killer Legends documentary. It'll send a shiver down your spine. All right, we'll be back in just a few with more here on Spooky South Coast.
1: do not attempt to adjust your radio. There is nothing wrong. We have taken control as to bring you this special show.
5: Spooky South Coast is back. Everybody be cool. You be cool.
2: Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Compton and science advisor Matt Moniz. In just a few minutes, we'll get right into the discussion about killer legends. For but right now, we're going to take a few minutes, just a few minutes, a real quick couple of minutes. i got to make sure that I turned everything off here. We're going to get briefly made.
1: Well, i got a great show for you today. a wonderful, Ooh,
0: weird stuff. I feel I feel so very weird
2: (laughs) The Weak and Weird Alright, so this story is a little bit old, but I thought we really needed to cover this. Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan asks that President Obama open up Area 51 to scientists. And a sermon he gave back on February 15th, it was the last of a year-long sermon series titled Time and What Must Be Done. Farrakhan is often referred to a UFO he calls the Mother Wheel, which according to the New Yorker, he describes as, quote, heavily armed spaceship the size of a city that will rain destruction upon white America, but save those who embrace the nation of Islam. In his recent sermon, Farrakhan said, We believe our words that have shared on the presence of the wheel could help the president and America to avert Allah's warning of chastisement and destruction if America does not bow down. Apparently, his suggestion to open Area 51, a recently declassified secret air force based in the Nevada desert, to scientists, would help in those efforts somehow. So, that comes along. Yeah. I don't know. Moniz, what do you think? They what? Of all the uh, of all the champions you thought you would have for UFO disclosure, would you ever think that Louis Farrakhan would be amongst them?
1: Not in a million years.
2: Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I felt too. It'll be interesting though if the first uh, the first alien to come down would be like Gorlon X, you know, comes down with the bow tie. Right. <laughs> all right, and now real quickly, just another story because I can't not share this story with you guys uh, again this comes from huffington posts weird news which we frequently retweet out uh, on our twitter feed at spooky sc wesley warren junior he died friday at a las vegas hospital he was 49 years old he gained notoriety because of his problems with a scrotum that grew to be 132 pounds oh. No cause of death was officially announced, but Warren's roommate, Joey Hurtado, told the Las Vegas Review-Journal that Warren had suffered two heart attacks recently. He'd been in the hospital for five and a half weeks. He had infections brought on by diabetes, and then he had two heart attacks. Uh, Hurtado told the paper he did not believe that his friend's testicle removal surgery last year was a factor in his death. When he had the surgery last April, he entered the operating room weighing 552 pounds, Thirteen hours later, he was 200 pounds lighter, and 132 of those pounds came from his hundred came from his testicles, uh, including the right testicle, which was the size of a honeydew melon. <laughs> and with each, originally, and then with each passing month, it grew three pounds or more. So uh, he had no health insurance, so he couldn't really do anything about it. There is a picture of him really? wearing pants. Really. With his 132-pound scrotum, That's something. Ow.
1: Yeah. That looks like something I saw in South Park.
2: It's like, you know, you know, maybe you ladies don't quite understand this, but for the guys out there in the audience, you know, it, 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 say you're playing sports or something, and you get, like, a ball kicked in your scrotum, or maybe maybe you fall down and bump it or something. You know what? It hurts. Imagine if every time you sat down somewhere. No. Boom. Ow. Out. Up against the side of the couch. British. Or, you know, trying to sit down on the toilet. Boom! You know? It's, it's terrible. Also, uh, he also had the record for losing the most Rochambos ever. Because <laughs> most people could kick him uh, without even having to lift their leg. So there you have it. That's the Week in Weird for this week. If you have any stories you would like to share with us, you can tweet us at spooky sc. And if we share it, you'll get the fame and notoriety of being mentioned on our Twitter account, which isn't really that hard anyway. Like, pretty much if you just tweet us at all, we'll retweet it and favorite it. We're happy to get the mention. Yeah. 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 We, we need our we need all the help we can get on the Twitter machine. So you can follow us at SpookySC. That's the way to do it. And... Um, we're more than happy to uh, share all the weird stories with you that way. I notice a lot of people pick up our weird stories, and they put them in their oh, own little good. magazines cool. put together by their tweets and everything. So, yeah, we appreciate that very much. I also want to let everybody know, too, that uh, LegendTrips.com, we still have some tickets available for our upcoming event at the Murdoch Whitney House in Winchester, right. Mass., Uh, They are going pretty quickly, but there are still some available. If you go to legendtrips.com, you can pick up your tickets for that event. It's going to be fantastic because really not a lot of people get into this place for paranormal investigation. It's only been open for a little while. Uh, So you actually will get the opportunity to be amongst the first in there to investigate uh, for the presence of the paranormal there. And there's an old woman who doesn't like people going into a certain room. So you're not going to want to miss your chance to kind of interact with her and and see if maybe you can push her and see if she pushes you back. And the good news is I found out they will have air conditioning, central air installed, because this is happening July 12th. So Ooh. we'll have nice air-conditioned environment that night. And for anybody that complains, oh, well, AC is going to mess with our EVP, <laughs> you know, or mess with your EVP, everybody complaining about how hot it is. So <laughs> we learned that last year on the USS Salem. So you can get those tickets by going to legendtrips.com. And, of course, all the Legend Trips events help with the... Uh, financing of the Spooky South Coast program. We pay for everything out of our own pockets, including the podcasting and the website and the spooky TV, everything that we put together here for you each week. And we're trying to upgrade our spooky TV experience. Yes. So, no, you don't even have to cough because we're going to push this thing straight out. If you go to gofundme.com slash spooky south coast, you can make a donation to help us in the production of this program.
3: There's a button on our on SpookySouthCoast.com as well.
2: So you can do a straight donation that way. Is that to the GoFundMe or to the PayPal? GoFundMe. Okay, GoFundMe. excellent. So there you go. Uh, we're trying to raise uh, about 5500 yep. and we've got a long way to go. Uh, but we're trying to raise enough money to get a desktop and a laptop and a new slew of webcams so that we can put everything together in a much more polished package. Uh, right now we're working with equipment that is uh, pretty old. That um, I know it was new when we started. It was eight years ago. Yes, but uh, now we're we're trying to make the jump to the next generation. So we need some we need some USB 3.0. We need some HD. Yep. We need whatever else we can get.
1: You really want us in HD?
2: No, no, I don't want us in HD. I just want the ability to broadcast in HD for when we have the awesome trailers that we can run during spooky TV, such as the one for Killer Legends, uh, which we can't run on this because it's just too beat up and old now. So, uh, if you want to make a donation again, just go to gofundme.com/spooky south coast and you can see there how to make the donation. It's really easy. Uh we don't have any um you know, we don't have any uh, perks just yet. But we did throw out that one a few weeks ago where if you want to and you make the highest donation, I think what what, what do we put for the uh for the time frame on this. I forget. I don't know. I'll have to go back and look. But uh, if we go to a certain uh, date, we'll be able to uh, offer this up. We're going to do another Backyard Podcast. For anybody that's ever oh, seen yes. the Backyard or yes. listen to the original Backyard Podcast, yes. it's pretty infamous among spooky South Coast lore. Yep. Uh, it was probably the single most... uh oh. If, if we only had
3: video cameras back then.
2: If they gave a Marconi award. We did take pictures though. Did we? I don't yeah. remember. If they gave a Marconi award for our podcast, this one would have already won <laughs> one. And we would have it proudly displayed on our mantle. This, this was entertainment at its finest. Uh, and for those unfamiliar, basically what it was was, I think it was the first time that we ever missed a Saturday night. So we decided, because there was a, uh, yeah, a Red Sox yeah, game right. or something on that bumped us off. So we decided, well, we still want to be able to put up a podcast. So let's meet at my house we'll sit around the back porch uh we'll enjoy some adult beverages we'll grill some burgers we'll smoke some cigars and we'll have an uncensored show
0: huh.
2: and it, <laughs> it started off with the best of intentions right. i think right around the time that uh, we were on like our third or fourth beer and the grill caught on fire, fire. Yeah. that's when everything kind of started to go downhill but uh it, or uphill yeah,
1: if you're
3: the bridge. i think became. i remember afterwards we were all like wow that that sucked so let's, but, ne- let's never do that again. Do you it, remember how much editing that we had to
2: do to that, too? Before, like, w- what went up there? As much as it's, like, three or four hours of just thought, us rambling.
3: I thought we were we were like, oh, we're going to have to edit the crap out of this. And then you were like, yeah, whatever. just <laughs>
2: Throw it up there. <laughs> that might have been what happened. Maybe. I don't know. I, I th- just remember listening I think, to I think it all. we
3: did cut out some... Uh, some stuff though,
2: but we left almost everything that was yeah all the good stuff entertaining. We okay. left it in there. I think we cut out a lot of the um, you know like just when I was like cooking the burgers right. and we weren't actually talking about anything. I think we cut a lot it's of that just like stuff a out. A
3: bunch of uh, just us chewing.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think we cut a lot of that out. But Please it have lives have on in salad. It's still, <laughs> it's still <laughs> available though on uh, iTunes and wherever podcasts are found. On SpookySouthCoast.com. dot com, if you want to go back and listen to it in its entirety. I recommend it because if you, if you don't feel like you know us, you will after listening to that show. (laughs) And, uh, what, what's interesting about it is, like Matt said, we thought that it was going to be, we thought it was going to be the show that kind of killed all the momentum we'd built over the first six months of the program. And we actually, if I remember correctly, uh, back then we used to have a message board on our site. Remember those Mm. things, message boards? And we were getting killed on that message board by a couple of people for, Basically lowering ourselves oh, yeah, yeah. to yeah. doing that, yeah. and and we got we got killed for that by a few people. They felt it was very unprofessional, and you know it wasn't like we put it on the radio. We didn't make anybody download it, and we put warnings that it was you know 18 plus. So uh, we we let everybody know ahead of time what what to expect. But wasn't even that bad. There was maybe an F bomb. There was a lot of F bombs.
3: Yeah. All right. Yeah,
2: we because we we started realizing that if we're gonna if we're in for a penny we're in for a pound, and we just started. Right, there was right. one point where it was just every other word out of our mouths.
1: That's after the coal schlager. That's after
2: the schlager came out. Yes. So, what we did is, uh, we we felt like you know this this is this is probably the end. Of spooky South Coast. This is probably the end of everything that we've, you know, built over these six months. And instead, it would have the opposite effect. It became one of our most downloaded episodes ever. It's still the one that people talk about to this day. When people find the show and they're they're new to the show and they go back and they start downloading the old podcast, they always say the same thing: "Just found the backyard podcast. I love you guys more than ever now." So, because <laughs> it was so popular and because it worked out so well, we've decided that we we're going to do another one. We're going to have another one. We're gonna we're still going to do the pay per view option. On Ustream, where people can watch it live and we, were we can gonna, do whatever. Yeah, okay, so sounds we, good. we may hold, hold it as a pay per view and either we'll donate the money to charity or we'll put it toward the you fund GoFundMe campaign. Uh, but we'll, or we should let them decide. Well, no, because you're going to have a whole bunch of people buying tickets. I don't want them. To, 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 can't All get right. them any. The only thing I can get them to agree on is how awesome we are, apparently. <laughs> so we will have it there. We'll have it live. You can watch it. You can experience it. But if you are the highest donation to the GoFundMe, you will be invited to participate yes. in the Backyard Podcast recording. D-Y-O-B-F. Which is why we're doing it at you guys' <laughs> house and not at mine.
1: Yeah, and you got to make your way there.
2: Right, yes. Uh, you have to get yourself to Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, and we can't let you know where it is. Yeah, we're going to have to blindfold you. Yeah. What we're going to do is there's, there's, there's a bar not that far from Oneis Island. We'll park your car there. We'll meet you there. We'll blindfold you. We may tie your hands, but that's just because we're kinky. We'll put you in the back of the car. We will drive you to this secluded location uh, where Moniz Island is. That sounds like a great time already. Like I'm already, I'm already I can already see the donation totals. I'm just, excited about this. So uh, we, we, will, we will bring you to Moniz Island. Uh, when we get there, we will then untie the blindfold. We may keep your hands tied just for our own personal safety. We don't know you. And then we will cook for you. Moniz is a fantastic grill chef. He's a, a, a he's a master of meat. Oh,
1: okay, thank you.
2: <laughs> he is uh, he he can grill meat like you wouldn't believe. They smoke their own meat there. Yep. Uh, they just put out a feast. I mean, Jason and Grant have been there for your yep. meat. Shannon, Sylvia, everybody's been down to your house to come yeah. and experience uh, the Moniz uh, Charred Mammal Flesh Festival. <laughs> so we will cook for you. We will provide you with alcoholic beverages if you're twenty one plus, and we will. Entertain you in person as we have the live. So maybe I mean maybe somebody that has uh, something.
1: I could also make a few phone calls see if I can get a few other friends to show up.
2: And by friends, he means uh, his M sixteen. No, no. <laughs> I'm that talking, may be part I'm of talking the deal. paranormal. You may, that may be part of the deal, too. You may, you may, get, out, you may get the uh, opportunity to squeeze off a few rounds. Uh, I get some small caliber stuff we can fire at the house, yeah. It, it, not at the house. <laughs> no, <we get> <laughs> on the I island. Guess. Yes, on the property. And, uh, and also, so I mean, maybe you're somebody that has a business and you want to promote it. Send, make a donation because you can come on and you can promote your business throughout the entire podcast. You know, Maybe you're somebody who is pushing your paranormal group. Make the highest donation. You can come on and talk about your paranormal group the entire night. Whatever you want to discuss, whatever you want to promote, maybe you just want to hang out. Whatever, you can be part of it just by making the highest donation. And you know, I'd, I'd even go as <laughs> I'm picking this all up off the cuff as we go along. Uh, we're looking to raise about fifty-five hundred dollars. Okay, right. That's that's right. the goal. That's what we figure we need because GoFundMe takes some of the money, but we figure that's what we need to put together uh, the systems that we want to build. So, if we can raise that, anything that goes over that, we are going to donate to a charity that will be voted upon uh, on spookysouthcoast. com So anybody who donates five hundred dollars or more, you can be invited to this. Again, you have to get yourself there, but if you donate more than five hundred dollars, you can come be part of this historic backyard podcast too <laughs> I like it. That's that's how we'll sell it. And uh, so anybody who donates $500 or more, you can be part of it. So you don't even have to win. You don't even have to have the highest donation. For $500, you can come be part of this event. Promote whatever you want to promote. You will get a microphone as part of the, uh, part of the recording. You can drink and swear and eat meat along with us. <laughs> and, and who knows what could happen, really. Look at what happened <laughs> the first night. Right. The first time we did it. We almost had to call the fire department. Which would have been really embarrassing. You know, what are you what are you guys doing? Why are there microphones on the picnic table? <laughs> oh, we're recording a podcast. Oh what now? Yeah. That, well that was two thousand seven, so it was uh I think it was just uh, us. Right. It was uh it was us, Adam Carolla, and um the guy from M T V that created podcasts. Uh, yep. Adam, what's his name? Setzer. That's, <laughs> That's not it. I can't remember his name. Adam Curry. Curry. The uh, MTV VJ. That's what it was. Yeah. Who invented podcasts. All right. So there you have it. So that's that's the opportunity that's out there for you. $500 donation or more. We appreciate the or more. Uh, but $500, you can come and be part of that. And the money all goes directly back into helping this show. So what it will do is it will essentially guarantee that we'll be so advanced in our technology that we have, we'll never have to do another Backyard Barbecue podcast again. we'll, we'll have to. We uh, still may because yeah. people like it, but we'll never have to resort to <laughs> <laughs> drinking and swearing and charring of the mammal flesh right. uh, in order to... so Basically, what we're saying is we'll be your monkeys. We'll perform however you want us to perform. Uh, so there's your opportunity. GoFundMe.com slash Spooky South Coast. All right, well, I'm starting to get a little worried about our guests here tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. I think maybe they forgot that we were on their schedule, but... Hey, it happens. We're here anyway, and we can also take your phone calls throughout the course of the night, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Those are the numbers to reach us, to share with us what's on your mind. You can also get a hold of us anytime, either on Twitter, at SpookySC, or via email, SpookyCrew at com. Matt, say hi to everybody. Well, I'm going to say hi to everybody in the chat room, but you just let us know if anybody pops up with any questions uh, during the course of the night. I know that usually they're talking about everything, but what we're discussing on the show. Anybody claiming that they're going to make a $500 donation yet? Uh, no, not yet. Okay. And that, you know, and that could be. But they be... said
3: we should do, we should do, a, do it annually
2: anyway. <laughs> Somebody wants us to lose our broadcast license. Not that we have one. <laughs> not for podcasts. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, When we come back on the other side, we'll try and connect with our guests for tonight. Hopefully, we can pull that off. Uh, But if not, we can certainly entertain you. We've done it before. We'll do it again. Stay tuned for more. Wait a minute. Okay, I'm hitting the wrong thing. There we go. Stay tuned for more here on Spooky South Coast.
5: Don't look down, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you
4: right after this.
5: Something strange is coming your way. You wait. You listen. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. We are tonight's
0: entertainment...
2: Here, along with the Silent Assassin Matt Cossett, and Science Advisor Matt Moniz, and uh, I noticed that the VIP line is ringing. So I believe that that is our guests for tonight. Uh, we do have uh, about seven minutes left in this hour, but we can certainly start the discussion. Uh, is this is this Rachel or Josh or both? This is
5: Josh.
2: Hey, Josh, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, we are uh, up against the news break here. We have about seven minutes before we have to take a break for that, but then we have the entire next hour open, too, that we can discuss, if that works oh, for you. Yep. Okay. Well, I found out about this uh, documentary that's debuting tomorrow night on Chiller TV called Killer Legends. Uh, I found out through Chris Balzano, who uh, was part of our show for a number of years and has always been fascinated by urban legends, and he had seen your film Cropsy, And that's kind of what got you started on this project. Uh, when did Cropsey come out?
5: Uh, Cropsy came out in 2010, a couple of years ago.
2: And now that followed uh, a local legend from where you grew up?
5: Yeah, that, uh, basically, uh, came from Staten Island, New York. I grew up in, uh, in Staten Island and, uh, we had an urban legend about an escaped mental patient named Cropsey who would hang out in the Willowbrook Mental Institution. And, uh, it was purported that he was an escaped mental patient. He lived in the basement. And if you went and hung out there, you know, at a keg party or whatever, this was an abandoned mental institution in the center of uh, Staten Island, if you went and hung out there, uh, he would come out and snatch you. And that was pretty prevalent for a lot of the kids who were there.
2: Now, was Cropsy was that his real name, or was that kind of just a nickname that was given to him?
5: Well, it's funny, because Cropsy is actually the name of uh, an urban legend from upstate New York. Um, slightly different story, um, and somehow this urban that name came and was attached to the general urban legend about escape mental patients. You know, any time you have an abandoned mental institution from the, you know, sixties and seventies and of course there were, were many. Um there were uh anytime you had this type of urban legend or this type of situation in your uh, community, you typically had you know, urban legends, and this one just was named "Cropsey." We took it from a different, um, a different scenario, a different, you know, just a different urban legend.
2: It seems like every area has its own legends, and they have their own. There's a lot of. Um you know, a lot of archetypes that exist in, in a lot of these urban legends, too, as I'm sure you realize as you explored a lot of these and as you address in the film, uh, but it seems like when you have one that is specific to your area, when it, became, when it can become something that you own, it makes it that much more terrifying growing up around it, to, to hear these stories and to know that this, this isn't just something somebody saw, this isn't just something that somebody told another person about, this is something that people actually experienced.
5: Well, that's the whole thing. That's that's kind of the, the situation with Urban Legends is, you know, again, as I was saying, for example, the uh, escape mental patient. You know, every community has their story, and typically what they do is they make it specific to that community. For example, one of the things we cover in the film.
2: Your is, station uh, for the. Sorry about that.
5: Go ahead.
2: No, I, I just, our computer fired off. I had to just turn it off.
5: Okay, no problem. Um, so, you know, one of the things that makes urban legends uh, kind of scary is their specificity. So one of the things we just talk about in the film is, for example, um, Hope for a Hand. Now, ev- there were a ton of communities around every community. Many communities have their local lover's lane story. And to make that story um have more weight to make it more sticky, as they say, and to make it more scary. Typically, the lover's lane was um, tailored to every community. So, for example, in New York, it became about... Um, you know, Shore Road in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Long Island, it became, a, you know, the road became a different road. Mm-hmm. For Boston, it became a different Lover's Lane. So that's the one thing about urban legends. They become specific to a place.
2: And you have that specificity, uh, but at the same time, uh, you're seeing a lot of the same. Uh Storylines and a lot of the same type of uh, of characters involved, and coming up in the next hour, we can get involved into some of those because you do a great job of covering them in the documentary. I was watching it earlier today, and I think that I know these urban legends I think that i 'm familiar with them from talking about them for many years and researching them myself for many years, and then to see some of the twists that some of these take uh, and what 's fascinating about the ones that you cover in the film is when they are uh, when they are Reveal to be, you know, true stories. The true stories are so much more heinous than the actual legends themselves. Uh, so we can get into all that coming up in the next hour. And I want to talk to you too about the process just as a filmmaker of trying to follow the course of these legends because you, are, you're able to get people on camera for this that I think had a lot of issue with uh, necessarily going over this and, and rehashing a lot of this stuff. It's, it's things that a lot of our communities would want to keep buried. And now here you and Rachel come with cameras and with questions and it seemed like you were kind of digging up some old wounds. So I want to talk with you about that as well coming up in the next hour. Uh, Again, this film debuts tomorrow night on Chiller TV at 8 p.m. You can see the trailer right now. If you go to chillertv.com, you can find the trailer. You can find more information about it. Uh, You can find some uh, information about the cast and you can find some information out about Josh and Rachel. And uh, again, it's going to be tomorrow night at 8 o'clock and I'm assuming that there will be subsequent showings too as well.
5: Yeah, I think they're showing it every two hours up until midnight or something like
2: that. So they'll they'll have a lot of showings of it. Nice. So uh, if you if you don't have the chance, and of course uh, it's available on so many cable systems around here. I know that locally, I guess Comcast doesn't carry it, but Directv has it and Verizon has it. So you'll be able to set your DVRs. uh, And if not, you know, Chiller TV is uh, great about putting stuff up online as well. So you'll probably have the chance to catch it. So we'll talk about all that coming up. We do have to take a break for the news. uh, So. So Josh, i will be about a seven-minute news break, and then we'll jump right back into things with you. Great. All right. Stay tuned for more coming up here on Spooky South Coast.
0: Welcome to Spooky South
1: Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. It does. AM 1425, presents Spooky South Coast with your
5: hosts, Tim
0: Weisberg.
2: Hi, welcome back, hour number two of the Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and Science Advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, we touched a little bit upon it toward the end of the first hour, but uh, tonight we are joined by Joshua Zeman. Am I saying your name right, Joshua? Is it Zeman? And uh, he is the director and and the documentarian behind this new film, Killer Legends, which debuts tomorrow night on Chiller TV at 8 o'clock, uh, along with producer Rachel Mills. The two of them explore some of these urban legends that we have all heard, uh, not only us who work in the paranormal field, but just anybody who was ever a teenager has heard some of these stories. And uh, and Josh and Rachel, they basically break them all down. They get to the root of the story, and it's it's scarier to me than some of the legends that uh, have developed and was that something that you expected to find as you went on this journey I mean obviously you know you're doing a lot of advanced research but when the stories were actually unfolding before you as you're digging into them and and out there boots to the ground were you surprised at some of the twists and turns they took
5: yeah I mean you know that's one of the reasons that you know we have urban legends. Partly, what what makes an urban legend is it's based upon uh, somewhat of a true story, a true a story that has both truth and and has some mystery to it. And it's the lack of answers, it's the continued mystery that allows um, people to kind of take that story and then morph it into an urban legend. So you know, if you had a crime and and you know you knew who who done it, then it doesn't. It doesn't work for an urban legend. It doesn't become a story that people then talk about for years to come. It doesn't say, like, well, I wonder who really did it, or I wonder what the situation was. So, you know, I think, you know, a couple things have to happen. It has to be, you know, kind of freaky and, and, and scary, number one, and, and number two, it it kind of has to be unsolved. So, And, and that creates, you know, our, our urban legends. And then, you know, I think... In so many ways, truth is always stranger than fiction you know and, and mm-hmm. you know truth is, is a lot is, is often a lot scarier and, and you know this is something that we talk about um, quite often you know it, it 's the fact that it could it could really happen that makes it that much more scary for people
2: and, and the film leads off the first story that it really gets into in depth is the Candyman, and this was the one that kind of threw me for a loop a little bit because. Okay. You know we, we've all heard the stories growing up, and I, I told the story at the beginning of the the show about how you know my grandfather used to always warn us about poison candy, and he had this incredible amazing ability to know which candy was poison and which one wasn't just based on the wrapper. So if he, there was one that you know was a particular favorite of him, he'd say, "Oh no, that that's poison," and you'd take it, and he would eat it to show me, you know, that it. And then he'd put on a big show, pretending to cough and choke, and all that. But you know, it's kind of just a way to get the good candy out of me. But this is something that we all heard stories about growing up, and I never really believed it as a kid. I never I was like, "Who's going to ever poison candy or or put a needle in candy? It can't be true." But it turns out it was true. Well, the
5: whole thing is is that technically, it's not true. There right. really is no person out there canes and except for this one case, and the only reason this guy did it uh, was because he thought the urban legend was true. He thought it could help him get away with the crime. And so that's called extension, which a lot of folklorists talk about. It's mm-hmm. kind of when you enact a crime, think it's when you enact the urban legend thinking it's real.
2: And uh, surprisingly, uh, he almost did get away with it uh, until finally they realized things weren't quite adding up.
5: Exactly, and so basically, he thought you know the he, he thought it was a, he thought the urban legend was in fact real. He thought uh, people were really poisoning candy, and so he he did it, thinking he was going to get away with it. And uh, so now the interesting thing is um, when he did this, when he committed this crime, when he poisoned this candy. Suddenly, everybody finally had proof. Look, it really is real. So, you know, from then on, 1974, you know, pre-1974, people talked about it. They were like, oh, yeah, people are tainted candy. It's The guy's called the Halloween sadist. It, it's somebody who likes to hurt children. You know, there really was nobody who liked to do that. And then because this guy committed this crime, thinking the urban legend was real, post-1974, finally we had a site, you know, a case to cite you know finally yeah look really there is really proof of somebody doing it so that's the other way in which legends strangely enough become real people kind of enacting the legend themselves
2: well i mean i don't know how old you are josh but i'm i'm 36 and i know that mm-hmm. matt, matt costa my co-host here is a little bit younger than i am and matt moniz you might be of the age that remembers uh, at a time when this was
1: oh i i fully remember when this happened i, I that particular time i was seven eight years old
2: and you discuss in the film about how you know the actions of this one uh, this one man who became known as the Candyman. how his actions kind of tainted halloween for a lot of people for a long time and i remember you know hearing the stories but never really believing it but this was a fear that was very real uh, for quite a long time once there finally was a case where it had happened yeah
5: and, you know this happens quite a bit you know it you know, it's, it's like tainted candy and devil worshiping. Mm-hmm. You know, no real cases of devil worshiping, but a lot of kids going out in the woods, you know, painting pentagrams or writing 666 and, you know, kind of, or a lot of kids going out and killing animals, you know, to try and emulate, uh, devil worshiping. And again, it's, it was a much, very much like the same case in the 1980s. I think you had a lot of kids at that point trying to get into, you know, these herbal legends and, and kind of, In the exploration, in the, you know, uh, in the enacting of it, you know, they kind of make it real.
2: Well, we talk about, and we actually, I actually. Uh, put together events uh, with my friend Jeff Belanger called Legend Trips where we talk about the idea of tripping on a legend, of, of going out to have the experience, not necessarily like a paranormal investigation per se, but just to be at a place where something happened and try to experience it for yourself. And in the Candyman saga you mention, or, or one of the people that you interview mentions, the fact that some of the kids who are claiming to have found this stuff, finding a needle in their candy bar, they may have been doing it themselves just to get into that legend to get some attention to be part of that story
5: well who doesn't want to go down in history you know mm-hmm. who doesn't want to be a part of history who doesn't want to get attention so uh, that, that's very interesting to me i didn't know that you in fact kind of do separate so you make the distinction. Paranormal ghost hunting versus legend tripping.
2: Well, we try to. The people who come, you know, they want to conduct uh, investigation in their own manner, which we, you know, we completely encourage. But we're selling people on the idea of we're just going to take you to where this phenomena has happened, and hopefully it will happen to you as well. You can try to document that however you want to, but Mm -hmm. we're not we're not conducting this as scientific proof of the existence of the paranormal. We're just trying to put ourselves into the story.
5: And is that something? So typically. Do you make the distinction, or it sounds like you don't make the distinction? Well, I mean, we do. In general, you say Legend Trip, and then if people want to say that that's paranormal investigation, then they can take it to that event.
2: Right, we do. I mean, we we say straight out, like, we're not... This is not a formal scientific investigation, but in the course of the event, people are allowed to kind of break off and do their own thing with the understanding of, you know, we're not giving you the total – it's not a total controlled environment like it should be for actual scientific, you know, investigation, but – at least you're there at a place where something has happened, and we find that there's just as many people who want to come there and have their first experience as there are people who have been documenting the existence of the paranormal for a number of years who just want to add a new location to their you know to their case study. We find there's just as many people who just want to be there for the story
5: yeah that 's very interesting only because like with the proliferation of all these ghost hunter shows you know in in the past couple of years, you know we I mean, I'm not technically a, a folklorist, but I looked at it, you know, from a kind of folklorist standpoint and saying, at the end of the day, I wonder if all these people who are really, you know, doing all this ghost hunting, whether or not they really talk about what they're doing as just straight legend tripping. And that was one thing that we wanted to approach the show. You know, when we pitched the show out, we were trying to say, listen, you know, there's a ton of people who are ghost hunting, but really, what are they doing? At the end of the day, everybody's just legend tripping. Right. And what if we talked to the audience? What if we said to the audience, hey, listen, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, ghost hunting. We're just legend tripping. And to me, that, uh, in some ways is a little scarier because, you know, then it doesn't get into the specificity of whether ghosts are real or whether, you know, this or that is real or whether you can prove it. The end, these, You know, legend tripping ends up being just stories that scared you as a kid. You know, whether it's, you know, killer clowns or whether it's, you know, hook for hands or anything like that. And in some ways, a lot of those stories that you heard of kids tend to be scarier. You know, they, they tap into something a little bit more, um, Jungian, a little bit more archetypal.
2: Absolutely. Well, when you're a paranormal investigator, you try to sanitize the experience a bit, and you're trying to look through it through an an investigative lens, so you're trying to have a little bit of distance. Obviously, you're there experiencing it for yourself, but you're trying to keep some sort of sense of objectivity uh, in what you're studying. But when you're there just to trip on the legend, you don't have to have any of that. And I've actually found that I've had more paranormal experiences uh, in the fact that I've now, I've kind of given up on carrying all the bells and whistles with me into an investigation i'll bring them to these events because people want to use them and try them out but if yeah. i'm going to go check out a story for myself, I might bring just a few things just to get baseline readings of an area but I'm not trying to communicate with spirits the same way that these paranormal investigators are I just want to be there and I want to have the experience I want to be pushed again by something I can't see I want to be choked again by something I can't see that's what I'm looking for that's
5: interesting so you know because I always think again looking at it not as a paranormal Investigator, but just looking at it as a storyteller, to me, it seems that uh, a lot of paranormal investigators, you know, when you bring a piece of equipment, when you bring a piece of science, you're, you're basically trying to control the story. Mm-hmm. You're basically trying to say, you know, at the end of the day, it's just science and I understand science and therefore I'm not scared by it. But when you legend trip, you're actually giving yourself over to the story. You're giving yourself over to the fear and saying, you know, this is not about science. It's not about technology. It's not about, you know, finding a, a specific spot or being able to name something. It's just about saying, Hey, look, there's this totally freaky story and I'm going to go scare myself. And that's okay. That's cool. But, that, you know, that's something that we do, you know, as children, as adults. And that's just part of like, um, being alive, you know, that's why we like to scare ourselves, you know, in, in the absence of war, famine, fear, in the, in, in the absence of, real true human tests you know we need things to to, to help us prove that we're alive
2: Absolutely. And the I mean, even myself, somebody who does this all the time, the dichotomy still exists within me. I mean, I'll admit I'm afraid of the dark. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm a 36 year old man that is scared of the dark. Now, when I'm on a when I'm on a paranormal investigation, and I'm actually out there to seek proof and evidence and and collect data, I'm not afraid to be in the dark and knowing full well what's around me. But when we're quote-unquote legend tripping, and when I decide to just shut everything off and just sit there in the dark and experience the dark and see what happens, and I start to hear those footsteps happening, you know, hundreds of yards away, and I start to hear that noise in the wall, right, or it sounds like the roof is caving in over me, that's when I start to get really freaked out, and I start to have that same adrenaline rush that I originally looked for, And and you guys do a great job in the documentary of being able to incorporate some of that feeling, too. I notice that as you're investigating these legends, you're going to the sites where these things happened and you're going there in the dark with just your flashlights and you're, you're experiencing kind of the same type of fear that people who hear these leg- urban legends are experiencing when they hear them.
5: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because somebody would say like, well, why are these guys like investigating this stuff in the dark? And it's like, well, you know, kind of, let's look at it from an urban, le- let's look at it from like a folklore standpoint, like, of, of course. course, we're going to go do that in the dark. Why? Because we are legend tripping the story. Mm-hmm. That's what you do, you know? And I, so I think if a lot of people kind of talked about and looked at like all this, our fascination with horror, if we looked at it from a folklore standpoint, it, it, it ends up being a lot more fun. It's not clinical. You know, um, you know, looking at it from this kind of like, not it's not scientific; it's more of a sociology. And um, it, weirdly enough, it ends up being scarier because you're thinking about it in terms of all these base archetype stories, things that really scare us. I like to say, like, you know, when you are legend tripping, when you look at things, and, and and definitely when you kind of go along on our specific journey, we like we like to look at your nightmares. We look to, we like to look at the things that continually scare us and why do they scare us? And a lot of the network executives were like, well, aren't you going to demystify the process? And we're like, uh-uh. We're not demystifying the process. We're playing, we're paying homage to the process. And in, and in, in the process, you have that much more respect for the things that you're talking about and they become that much scarier, funny enough.
2: Right, and, and you know, I, I likened it When I first uh, researched the project a little bit And before I'd actually seen the film I was a little concerned that it would be just that That you would be stripping away uh, All the urban legend aspects of it Getting down to the true story And in the end, kind of, not ruining the legend But at least taking some of the scare factor out of it But instead, I kind of liken it to If you go see a Penn and Teller magic show You know, Penn and <laughs> Teller have no problem Telling you how they did the trick It doesn't make the trick any less cool in the end
5: I and mean, you know pentel those guys are genius you know and i think it's just it's just you know being smart about your subject matter you know uh, you know ricky j as well you know mm-hmm. the guy doesn't take away from magic he only adds to the mystique of it and um you know we like to do the same thing and, and you know i think uh, listen the, the funny thing is that there's a lot of people who have become experts on horror in the past couple of years and you know everybody has their different thing, and, and this is just the base. This is just the way that we do it. I like to think that the truth is much more horrific. I, I like to think that the details end up being much more horrific, and I like to think that the truth is scarier than any fiction that we can create. And um, you know we did it with Cropsy, and now, um, you know we did it here. And the funny thing is, is I did like um, all these Q and A's with Cropsy. And everybody wanted to talk about the urban legend and their town. Mm-hmm. And so I like to think that this is a little bit of what we do. You know, we know that, that urban legends always have some form of truth behind them, and so that's what we go in and investigate.
2: And it seems like uh, when you're digging away the layers, and, I, and I'm sure it was hard. I mean, I'm sure uh, with yourself and Rachel, uh, trying to get to the root of some of these was very difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the second act of the of the film uh, analyzes the babysitter Legend and the idea that mm-hmm. there's somebody upstairs and, and uh, I had mentioned to Matt Moniz, my co-host at the beginning of the program, I said, you have the legend of the babysitter who gets the phone call and somebody who is saying that they can watch every move that you're making and they call the police and he knew exactly how it ended. And I'm sure anybody that's familiar with that le- uh, legend knows exactly how it ends. The man is upstairs. He's in th- the call is coming from in the house <laughs> and you do a great job and, and kudos to you guys for getting all the, the clearances to show all these clips, but mm-hmm. you've got multiple. Multiple films that are using that motif, and you come at it with the same approach that a lot of us feel there really is no basis to this story; that it really is just something that seemed like a scary situation. Uh, but in the end, Rachel is able to uncover the actual truth behind it.
5: Yeah, I mean, you know, the babysitter becomes a, is a very interesting story. You know, again, you know, a lot of it is not just the stories themselves it's how popular culture has taken these stories and, and and run with it. And that's what I was interested in. I'm like, okay, well, look, you know, in the 1970s and 80s, the babysitter was the victim du jour. You know, everywhere you turned, you know, it was always the babysitter was getting it. So was there any truth behind it? And And looking in it, it was very difficult to find stories in which the babysitter was, you know, the victim. Strangely enough, you would think you know that that all these people, hearing these stories of dead babysitters, they would take they would take them and, and kind of make them into fiction films. And but there really weren't that many stories. Interestingly enough, what there were were a lot of cases of babysitters actually killing kids.
2: Oh, and that was so unnerving when you show that in the film. I could not believe uh, that, that just sent a chill down my spine as a parent.
5: Yeah, and, you know. So and and. Funny enough, that is the common truth. Um, you know, it's, it's always when you, when you look at it, it's always the stories of the babysitter has accidentally killed the kid or babysitter, you know, mentally disturbed has, has killed the child, you know, and that leads to, in fact, another legend. Unfortunately, if we had more time, we would have talked about it, but it's the turkey in the oven, uh, urban legend, and that is, that's like a famous, um, kind of a hip, you know, anti hippie urban legend of the 1960s in which, you know, the first time uh, parents go away, their first time, they're very nervous about the child. They leave the child with the babysitter and the mother calls and asks how the child is. And the babysitter says, uh, Child's great and the turkey's in the oven. <laughs> and parents are like, What turkey? Mm-hmm. And they rush home and they find it's the baby who's been, you know, you know, put in the oven. That's and funny. that's a common. Uh, acid, uh, urban legend from from that time. It was always the babysitter
2: taking acid and freaking out and actually, cooked the kids Wow, I, I don't think I've heard that one. So that's uh, really yeah, uh, very very famous, very famous. Well, Moniz, place. you're the you're the babysitter in that story. So yeah, I'm, sure you're I'm, not,
1: I'm, I'm gonna leave that one alone. But uh, talking <laughs> about the babysitter being you know the crazy one, so that makes Alicia Silverstone and Crush actually legitimate.
2: No, you should have seen her in the babysitter. Even creepier. She was. She actually played the babysitter who was stalked in a movie.
1: No, well, in the crush, she was a babysitter that went a little nuts. But
2: right, but she was. Uh, she was on the other side of the coin in another film too. So she's run the gamut of the babysitter legend. Uh, one thing that you did explore was the idea too of uh, the fact that women who were babysitters, and, and I don't mean to, to categorize, but you know, it's a lot of young girls who are babysitters, and the feeling that they have of the responsibility helps create some of their fear. I also think maybe the babysitter motif has to do with the fact that creepy old dads would have these strange fantasies about the babysitter too which you didn't really get into in the film but I I thought maybe you were going to go there for a bit
5: (laughs) Well, you know I don't know if that's uh, a totally other urban legend but uh, yeah, I mean
1: No, that's not an urban legend, that's one of the Kennedys here
2: (laughs) (laughs) I just gave her a ride home, that's all I did
5: Exactly, you know, but it's just very interesting. And and what I really found interesting is like then you have films like uh, House of the Devil by Ty West, in which in which case he's you know doing an an homage to the babysitter stories. So basically, he's doing an, an homage to an urban legend, you know, you know, and and it the point or the conceit of his film is nothing more than to say, hey, look at how great these stories were from the 1970s and 80s.
2: And in similar vein to the Candyman legend, uh, it, I guess with that, you know, it was the, the murderer was actually trying to use the urban legend as the cover story. But with the babysitter case, it turns out that the, the urban legend might have been the cover for the actual heinousness that was going on behind the scenes. You cover the fact that a, a couple of African American men may have been singled mm. out for crimes unjustly, not because that they were the ones who committed the crimes, but because of the prevailing racial attitude of the time. And yeah. that that to me is just as bad as as the other case, you know, of, of being able to point a finger at somebody and say it was them that did it. And you know, we're basically using an urban legend to help fuel our own racism.
5: Yeah, I mean, in, in that case, I mean, it was ridiculous. And, and it, you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, but, geez, what were people thinking in, in Columbia, Missouri in 1950s where this happened? You know, first, you, you know, it was just so easy to point the finger and say, oh, this guy did it. You know, and, and that's a total... It, and you're, you're right. You know, it is another fear. You know, you have this town and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of uh, extremely young white girls living in fear. And what's the easiest thing to do? Well, just, you know, point to the African-American guy and say, he did it. You know, lock him up. And uh, that's what they did. They executed him. And then it happened four years later. And then, <laughs> you know, they didn't go back and say, oh, my God, I think we made a mistake. Something's amiss here they just pointed to another black guy and said, well, then he must have done it. Right. And then, you know, put him in jail. So, you know, a, a lot of these kind of urban legends, what they do is they expose, it's funny, but urban legends very specifically end up exposing societal fears. And, and, and the, you make the great point. You're absolutely correct. If you look at the candy man, you know, who could possibly poison a young child? It's, the other uh, we called it the Halloween sadist at the time, and it was always this kind of this person who wasn't part of society this person who wanted to unravel uh, the familiar or the societal binds bonds that that make us a you know uh, you know a productive society right that's that's the person who could possibly want to hurt our children same person obviously who would want to um, rape and kill a babysitter and kill those children got to be some you know person who doesn't want you know this to happen and so it it, and again it's it's the other you know and of course and in both cases um, it's you know it was it was a person who was very close to the victim as in all crimes, you know.
2: It's not the fringe person, you know, it's the person who is closest to what's going on, the person that has um, no sign of having that darker side. But what's interesting about the babysitter cases is you examine the fact that there were two cases that happened a few years apart that were very close to each other in in geographical range, and I don't want to give too much away, but Mm -hmm. when when you look at it, it is uh, just amazing how closely those murders happened to each other, that how did... And the gentleman in the film says, "You know, the 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 word serial killer wasn't in vogue at the time, but mm-hmm. how could people not just realize it's it's either the same thing or at least a copycat?"
5: Yeah, I I don't know. You know, that's the whole thing. You know, again, it's always you know, crime is 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 very much Monday morning baseball. You and, know, it's uh, you know, it's very after the fact. But I think we've also, as audiences, been completely educated by TV and by films and about everything. And uh, the unfortunate problem is you get into what's called now the CSI effect, where, you know, people want answers very quickly. They want answers within, uh, you know, that's something that prosecutors have to deal with all the time mm-hmm. when dealing with cases is, you know, the, the general public and or the the, uh, the jury they think that there's immediate answers to the crimes. I think there's always DNA evidence or some kind of scientific evidence, and in fact, it's not. That's not always the case.
2: I mean, I wasn't alive in the late 1940s, early 1950s. But normally, if there was a guy who was, you know, a, a man and he was kind of obsessed with a 13 year old girl, yeah, he might have been my first choice for a potential <laughs> uh, potential <laughs> murderer there. But it, it just seems like that was something that was kind of swept under the rug.
5: It was in Columbia, Missouri. That is for for damn sure, you know. And and that's very the that's always the interesting thing when going in, and I think that's one of the cool things about investigating these crimes is you go back and you, 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 literally, you can go back and and talk to these people and say like, oh my god, a a tragedy happened in this town sixty years ago, a a very specific and, and and big tragedy, and here we are as two. Kids literally, you know, Scooby Doo, whatever, you know, here we are uncovering this tragedy, what happened in this town and trying to like kind of right the wrongs. And I think we were very surprised at both the severity of the tragedy and how we were just able to uncover it with, with the limited resources that we had and how deep it went. You know, this is not, this is not a story that like the whole town really knows. This is something that's been, that was swept under the rug. Because it had to do with babysitters, we examined it, and then all of a sudden we broke it open. We broke open this case, and, and everybody's like, oh, my God, look what happened here. We, uh, the, uh, the wrong guy was obviously executed.
2: And the at least the, the person who your research points to, uh, I, is that person no longer with us, I would assume? That's correct. Okay. Because uh, I noticed that there wasn't any, any family to kind of uh, dispel that notion? Did you try to reach out to anybody that might have known him or been related to him? We
5: did, you know, very, you know, obviously. um, For those who don't know, you know, yes, this African-American guy, you know, they they thought it was him, they executed him, and then you know, another girl got killed, uh, another girl died, and you know, they pointed to another African-American, but then, thankfully, there were those community leaders who felt it was this other guy in town is kind of... um, you know, young upstanding citizen and uh he uh you know they tried the drain the grand jury tried to um indict him. he was not indicted. And of course what happens after that? He leaves the town. You know, he goes and goes and moves to California. And then we tried to go and investigate uh, you know, his his relatives, but they you know yeah, I can imagine he, he didn't have many relatives, you know.
2: And, and even if they were, they probably weren't in the mood to comment uh, on something oh, like that. When you
5: know, hey, by the way, your grandfather. we think your grandfather killed all these babysitters in this small town?
2: Right, but you you were able to reach out to someone who was able to help you uh, try and connect some of those dots. But again, a lot of the questions still remained. Uh, just as you know, that person left town, so did a number of other people, and it could have been any one of them. But they weren't the ones also commenting on how well developed the thirteen-year-old girl was, either.
5: Yeah, very very strange oh my will she was well developed for a thirteen year old that's true. kind of weird yeah uh, anyway
2: but uh that but that does give you know a lot of uh a, a lo- it, it gives more of a background to a lot of these legends which may or may not have been aware of those facts when when this uh babysitter motif developed but certainly uh it makes it extra creepy why don't we take mm-hmm. a break uh we'll just Take a few minutes here, play a couple of commercials, and come back. We can get into a few of the other uh, legends that you dissect for the film. And again, we're just touching on the surface of what's discussed in the movie. So, if you want to watch the documentary yourself, 8 p.m. tomorrow night on Chiller TV. Are there any plans? Is it going to be released to Netflix or anything like that following its airing? Oh
5: yeah, for sure. You know, that's something that you know we do with Cropsy. You know, Cropsy was shown on Discovery ID after having a theatrical. But I think a lot of people didn't really um, come to you know investigate or understand cropsy until it was on Netflix and it's uh, become one of Netflix's most popular documentaries
2: and it seems like, you know, Netflix is the place to go and find a lot of this stuff these days. Uh, it is A lot of these – I mean, Chiller does a great job. FearNet, they do a great job. They put a lot of this stuff up there. But if you want to really get into the meat and potatoes of some of these legends and some of these stories, Netflix has tons of stuff. So definitely mm-hmm. go there and check out Cropsey and and – Uh, Certainly, absolutely watch Killer Legends tomorrow night. We'll take a real quick break. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk about The Hookman, which I think every town has had that story in (laughs) some way or another, and The Killer Clown, which we've discussed quite a bit here on Spooky South Coast in the past, and uh, we'll tie all that into what you found out in the film as well. So stay tuned, everybody. We will be taking a real quick break, and then we'll come back with more Spooky South Coast coming up in just a few minutes here on (laughs) WBSM.
0: What I am about to say will shake the very foundation of every medical precept you hold here. We have entered the realm of the supernatural.
1: Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back.
2: Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. I'm Weisberg. With the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We are discussing the film Killer Legends, which debuts tomorrow night on Schiller TV. It's available locally on DirecTV here in the uh, Fairhaven, New Bedford area. I'm not sure about. Uh Comcast, or I have Verizon in Wareham, and I know that I have Chiller TV. And uh, that's how I was able to watch the American Scream documentary, which featured some local folks. It's kind of funny that they couldn't get it in Fairhaven when it's about haunted houses in Fairhaven, home haunts in Fairhaven. But, you know, I, I guess they were able to see it on Netflix, uh, which is the way that I saw it. Uh, but... This will debut, Killer Legends will debut tomorrow night at 8 o'clock with multiple showings planned, and then it will be on Netflix. We have joining us the director and the man behind the project, Joshua Zeman, and and we were talking about some of these legends that are covered in the film, including the Candyman, the Babysitter, and the Man Upstairs. Probably one story that every town has some sort of aspect of is the idea of the hook man, the, the, the guy, the usually an escaped convict with a hook for a hand, who terrorizes the teenagers parked on Lover Lane, Lover's Lane. And I love the fact that even before you get into the true story of it, you get into the fact why this legend needed to exist uh, in, back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and you have no shame in saying exactly why parents would want to perpetrate such a story.
5: No, of course. You know, it's about sex. Right. That's it. I think a lot, funny enough, a lot of these other legends, you know, a lot, the only thing more powerful than desire to have sex is, you know, the fear, fears and scares and things like that. So, you know, if if you're a parent and you didn't want your kid to have sex, the only thing you could do was scare the hell out of them.
2: And I, I guess for some teenagers it may have worked, uh, but it didn't. It didn't seem like it really did uh, for the teenagers in Texarkana who uh, went through this. You know, they they had no problem going out parking because uh, they actually are the ones where the legend is kind of based. The idea that uh, yeah,
5: yeah. I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is you know, again, we don't purport to know the absolute truth, and there's sure. no way to actually tell whether or not um, you know the kids of Texarkana. And, and the murders that happened there were the basis for the hook for a hand. You know, um sh- there's some um uh folk historians and folklorists who say that it came from the Carol Chessman case because he was known as the red light bandit in uh, California in the nineteen sixties. We unfortunately, you know, didn't have enough time to get into that one, but that specific real true crime. But you know, again, there's so many different stories and 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 nobody quite knows the truth i think that's the other fun thing about it you know we don't really 100 percent know did these urban legends come from here or did they not
2: and in, in at least in the case of Texarkana, what they called the moonlight murders uh, there's the discussion of the killer known as the phantom who is mm-hmm. described as wearing a white mask with holes cut out for the eyes right Yeah. What I found was interesting And and it just caught my eye When you were showing some of the newspaper clippings On the screen as you were going back And looking at some of the microfiche from the time They mentioned this as being the appearance There was also a story on the front page Of one of the papers Right under one of the stories about the murders About uh, about the Ku Klux Klan Burning crosses in the area Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you'd picked up On any kind of correlation between The appearance of the Phantom And the presence of the Klan
5: well it 's funny that that didn't get that didn't get um put into that one, but the clan uh you know that is one of the basis for the uh for the clown story,
2: really the clan was
5: yeah uh it, they called them the night riders uh guys who would who would drive around you know or ride on horses you know wearing white masks snatching uh, little african american kids and that was one of the urban legends of the very early uh, black communities uh, about this, you know, mythical character who would ride around snatching little black kids, and he was part of the clan. And that kind of, very, some communities kind of morphed into uh, the clown who would do the same thing for these African American communities.
2: Hmm. Well, at least in, in terms of, of the Phantom, uh, you know, they thought that they had captured the person who was responsible for this. And uh, and you guys have a, a great video clip there from somebody who was a, a longtime researcher of the case. Uh, but, it, again, even though it seemed like it was solved, it definitely has become something where it looks like there is no final answer. Uh, and, and including the fact – this is we, we talk about this all the time here on the show, about the need for people to embrace even the twisted side of their history if it means – paying attention to history you know we have no problem going to historic haunted locations for our legend trips events and talking about the ghosts and the reason for the ghosts if it means that we're getting people to experience a history of something they wouldn't otherwise texarkana has actually embraced or at least a portion of the of the community has embraced this part of their history well,
5: they have to i mean the whole thing is is what you know it's like you need to embrace yeah and that's something that like we kind of deal with in the culture right mm-hmm. it's a, the the ghost stories that that prevail uh, are the are typically and, and you know there's always that like you know why do you have ghost? It's because some wrong has not been righted or some truth has not been known, and so the only way to excise the ghost is to finally get the real story so I think that that, that works very much for urban legends. You know, isn't it weird, though, that it's always some some sort of like, you know, once you know the real story, once you know the perverted truth of what really happened back then, finally the ghost is free to go to the other side.
2: Right. I mean, I, I guess we live in the area where, you know, the Lizzie Borden crimes happened about 20 miles from where we are. So, mm-hmm. I mean, how can we... Uh, I can't really look at Texarkana with a weird eye because, you know, we have the Lizzie Borden Lifetime movie that debuted and every place in Fall River was having a party to view that movie for the first time. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I mean, I guess we're just as twisted as Texarkana. Is Matt, you had a question? Yeah, well, mm-hmm.
1: no, it had more of a statement where you're talking about, you know, lovers, Lane killers. We have... I will give you three great examples of modern history where this was a praying ground. Uh, Number one, Zodiac Killer. Number two, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Number three, David Berkowitz.
2: Yep. You know, Son of Sam. So you are, I mean, in addition to having the original case or what could be one of the original cases with the Phantom, it's
1: credibility to them. Right. Because we have modern uh, examples of this. So why would these other stories
5: not be true? It, well, exactly. But on the other side, it's also a logic thing. You know, if if you have a crazed person who wants to attack kids, mm-hmm. where are you going to go? Where are you going to go to find kids who are together uh, but alone in a vulnerable place? Right, and they're trying and, to
2: get as far away from the adults as they can, <laughs> for, exactly. for that reason.
5: Exactly, and, and, and they're gonna be in the most vulnerable position. And, and the other thing is, is there's typically some psychosexual part to, uh, to the stalking and to the crime. So, you know, you're gonna to wanna, to, you know, see the kids in the act of having sex, or you're gonna to wanna to be able to kind of incapacitate the boy with a gun and then rape the girl. So, it makes sense logically that this is gonna happen as well. So, you know, yes, Yes, uh, this urban legend was created to force kids not to have sex, but there was obviously some logic to it. You know, in fact, and and yes, those are three very famous uh, examples of, you know, kind of stalkers of Lovers Lane, but there have been tons, tons so many stories when you go back in, that's where you go to kind of, you know, do this crime. You go to Lovers Lane to do it.
2: And if you look at it, a lot of these lovers' lanes uh, that are around, they've no longer become, they're no longer a place where teenagers go to park anymore. What do they all become, especially in this area? What do we hear stories of? Drug drops. Drug drops and also, you know, meeting ground for people who are, um.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. alternate lifestyle. Yes.
2: You know, we we have, uh, the, the Nambla. Places, you know, where where they pop up on the websites, and we've had that happen with some of our local places, where it's supposedly a place where it's supposed to be where you know men and young boys can meet for what they should oh, be you doing. Oh,
5: they cru- cruising sites. Exactly. Where they used to be lovers lane. That's that's kind of interesting. You know, that was a whole thing as well. You know, it's a cultural thing. We're like, we were talking to kids, and this is a little bit strange to me. We're like, well, where do you go to a lovers lane? And there's like, they're like, lovers lane. Like, we don't go to lovers lane anymore. Right. Yeah. Like, so I guess kids don't really, you know, need to leave the house anymore well, to kind of go have sex. I uh, was going to say, part that of that, that is the,
2: the brashness of today's kids. They're just upstairs in their bedroom doing it with their parents downstairs at the dining room table.
5: Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so that's another interesting... Or the other way around, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, they could be on the <laughs> table, yeah, well, the parents are upstairs, either way. We don't judge. Uh, but, yeah, it, it definitely is the the difference of our society and uh, in, in the way that we have changed as a culture. But uh, still, I mean, the, the fact that uh, there are places where uh, kids can be easily preyed upon, you know, that hasn't changed. And one place that you would always expect your kids would be safe would be at least in front of their own home or in their own neighborhood. And the final story that you cover uh, makes that scary to the nth degree. I mean... We're all afraid of clowns. Uh, it's it, for some reason or another. It seems, and and you do a great job of exploring the idea of. Uh, I don't want to try to pronounce the actual name, so I'll let you do it, Josh. uh chlorophobia. Uh,
5: oh, chlorophobia. Yeah, I mean, the a, a weird, a weird name, but yeah, chlorophobia, the fear of clowns.
2: And uh, you actually have somebody in the film. Um, uh, uh, his name's escaping. Joe. Um, Joe Derwin, Joe Derwin, who is actually a, well, a relatively local guy to us. He's from the Berkshires, yeah. and uh, he's done a lot of research in this uh, avenue. And as has Chris Balzano, who was a frequent contributor to our program. And I was, as I'm watching the story unfold in the film, we were talking about the Chicago clowns. I just kept saying, "Gee, I, ho- I hope they mentioned Boston. I hope they mentioned Boston, because we did have such a historic rash of." Clown sightings, and you know
5: there were two, there, there were two. It was Chicago and Boston. Mm-hmm. Those those were the two places, uh, and um, you know, and I think that's kind of what drew Joe Derwin into it. You know, I, I to me, I'll be honest with you, like these urban legends or something. Phantom clown scares goes beyond urban legends, but does it goes it beyond t- hysteria? There is something additional in it, and you know, we can kind of get into it, but it goes beyond.
1: Well, doesn't it tie to John Wayne Gacy? The, his his exploits.
5: Sure, John Wayne Gacy was a physical manifestation, typically of a guy who killed, uh, and and who was a horrific killer who also dressed like a clown. But you know, as as you'll see on some of the TV shows, you know, they they have him killing as a clown. Technically, he never killed as a clown. You know, so yes, he was, uh, you know, a clown. You know, he was that, but. You have to kind of make the distinction a little bit. Phantom clown scares are are something a little bit different, and yes, um the villain is somewhat of the same you know in phantom clown scares you you have um you know guys driving around and typically these are all pedophile fears mm. you know that's mm-hmm. that's a lot of what we're what we're talking about um but what what I find so interesting about phantom clown scares is that you had in places like Boston and Chicago, um, Scotland, uh, all these different places, you had somewhat pre um, poltergeist and pre Stephen King's it. You had communities of kids who, without the benefit of the internet, from from very different backgrounds, this thing was jumping from town to town to town. This fear and. Without the Internet, how did this thing spread so much? And it was, again, it was more than just hysteria. Um, when it would be in Texas, when it would be not Texas, county, Texas, but it would be in, like, Austin, Texas, and then jump to Scotland, and then jump to Gal- oh, was Galveston, you know, and then jump to Scotland, and then jump to... Anna Barbara. Like, how did this happen that it was so random and so weird?
2: Right. And the Chicago cases that you, that you followed in the film kind of combined a couple of the incidents that we had here. But in addition to having the Boston clown sightings, uh, the, uh, the white van sightings have popped up a number of times over the years, too, where we're told to watch out for these white vans that are driving around, these unmarked vans that are pulling over and trying to lure kids in. I remember being a teenager or, a, you know, a 12, 13-year-old uh, on the Cape. Cape Cod, and we had a, a very real uh, scare going on with this happening in our town, to the point where you know anybody that drove a white van was considered suspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it seems like the, they do pop up, and it it has no rational, no rationale behind it. It just it, it's a hysteria that sweeps everybody, and it just takes that idea being planted uh, for it to really spread like wildfire.
5: and and, and also kids. You know, it's one thing like to have parents hysteria. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing to have kid hysteria. I find it so interesting, and just so so. Not only did you have this pedophile hysteria, but you, you know, were
4: stationed for that. Sorry,
5: and but you had this clown. You know, the, this clown thing that was happening at the same time. I mean, look at it now. Look where clowns have come. They they, they went to Stephen King. It, uh, they it was Poltergeist, but now you know as we say in the show you've got the joker and there's there's nobody scarier there's no more of a modern day villain in our world right now than the joker i think
2: right and you even cover the um the aurora shootings too uh which ties directly into that joker uh, mm-hmm. i mean area. i think
5: that's the the, the penultimate expression of that joker you know the joker is not just uh, a villain he, he's one who's specifically tied into undoing uh, again the ties that uh, bind society. he's he, he's into chaos. and uh, that is almost in the direct the you know the in the direct opposite of of everything that we try and do today. and so that to me that becomes a very interesting and very exciting.
2: Well Josh we only have about a minute left here uh, but yep. again the the film debuts tomorrow night uh, at 8 p.m. on Chiller there'll be a, a couple repeated showings of it and then it'll make its way to Netflix uh, but definitely tune in tomorrow night cuz we'll have a lot to talk about uh, through our you know through social media and everything there'll be a lot of conversation going on about a lot of this any plans on a follow up maybe exploring legends like uh, Slenderman or uh, some of the Slenderman other ones is that... my,
5: is, Slenderman's my next favorite Slenderman is is, is the future of urban legends? Uh, it's the internet, um, and it's and it's group created. So, Slenderman, Wendigo, mm-hmm. kidneys, and vampire societies. Hopefully, if we get the opportunity, we'd like to do the, those next ones. So,
2: and keep um, keep black eyed children on the radar too, as well. So what is it? Black eyed children? Yep, of course. That's that's another one that's become huge over the years. We hear a lot of reports about those. All right, well, thank you so much, Josh, for joining us. Again, the film premieres tomorrow night, Killer Legends, 8 p.m. on Chiller TV, and please keep us up to date with everything that you're working on.
5: Great, and and obviously, everybody, if you want to, you can check out Cropsey on uh, Hulu and um, Netflix.
2: All right, and do you you have a a website uh, for your company?
5: Uh, Yeah, you can typically get us on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter, of course, Josh Zeman, and then we have a Facebook site for Cropsey, and that... uh, you know that's where you'll get all our, all of our latest stuff and uh, some of the next projects we're working
2: on. All right. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks, guys. Good night. That is Joshua Zeebin of the film Killer Legends. We are just about out of time, but we will be back next Saturday night to talk with you more about the paranormal. And uh, we have uh, a whole bunch of great shows coming up in the coming weeks uh, talking about a variety of different topics. Uh, And you can keep up to date with everything by following us on Twitter at SpookySC. You can also email us at any point, SpookyCrew at com. SpookySouthCoast.com, of course, is the way to find out everything about the show. So hopefully some people out there will make some donations to our GoFundMe campaign and come and hang out with us. But at least next week we will talk to you all. Until then, stay spooktacular.